The readings are from Genesis, if you've got your Bible, if you want to turn with me. The first one is Genesis chapter 27, and it's from verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, Sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so that you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, Who are you? Esau replied, It's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, Then who just served me wild game? I have already eaten it, and I blessed him before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. There's two more readings. The next one, they're all in Genesis. The next one is Genesis chapter 28, starting at verse 10. This is about Jacob's dream at Bethel. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and travelled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions. To the, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. And I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was so afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. 
It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although the name of the nearby village was Luz. And the last reading is Genesis chapter 32, and it's verse 22. This is about Jacob wrestling with God. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Good morning all. I hope you're all well. The message this morning is being in the presence of God. A dear friend texted me this morning, and this is not part of the message, but a dear friend texted me this morning and he said, you know, Watson, you can testify of God's presence in the midst of storms. And for Ruth and I, the last few months, a storm has been brewing. And in that, that storm erupted on Wednesday. And by Thursday, I said to Ruth, I don't think I can stand here and speak this Sunday. However, there was only two ways that this was going to go. I could either let Satan take a victory and maybe deny some people here this morning a blessing, or all of you a blessing, or I could get on my knees and come to Jesus. And standing here, you probably realised I've decided to come to Jesus or go to Jesus. When I spoke at the beginning of this year, the title of the message was Found by God. And the message was broken down into two parts. And the first part of the message was taken from Psalm 139. And I spoke of how God knows each of us intimately and by name. And I spoke of how God is familiar with all our ways, that we were formed in our mother's wombs, 
with the Lord watching our development, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that God sees all our comings and goings. And the second part of the message was taken from Matthew 28:11. Within this section of scripture, there was a wonderful invite. And paraphrasing this, that piece of scripture says, come to me, learn from me, I will take your burdens, and I will teach you for my ways, for I am gentle and humble. And I finished the message by saying, today, come to Jesus. And as I started to write this message, I believe the Lord was saying that as this year has moved forward, the message remains the same for my church. Come to me. And our heart should be glad and greatly warmed by such an invite. My message today is to attempt to put a different angle to the message of come to me. And that different angle is coming unto Jesus, whether we are aware of his conscious or his unconscious presence. And all of us enjoy being in the conscious presence of God. And for me this morning, I could feel that presence. However, most of us do not enjoy being in the unconscious presence of the Lord. The times when God feels distant, or perhaps he hides his face. When I was a young man, I had plenty of insecurities about my faith. And was God really walking with me? I was at a spring harvest in the early 1980s. The weather was cold, wet, and downcast. And apart from the miserable weather, my mood and my spirit was downcast too. And I posed to the Lord the type of questions that we may have all asked Jesus at some point in our lives. Why would you die for me? Don't you know I'm such a rotten person? And are you really there for me, Lord? Are you for me? And the last question I just mentioned, I really wanted God to answer for me. And deciding to go for a walk on a very, very stony beach, I found a spot to sit and I began to pray. And I said, okay, Lord, you know everything there is about me. So are you for me? Are you walking with me? And as I started to pray, a stillness came upon me and it felt as though the presence of the Lord was actually there with me. And after some time of prayer and on opening my eyes, one of the stones next to me on my right-hand side were the written words, Jesus for you. I started to pray again, thanking the Lord for such a wonderful answer to prayer. And I thought that I could keep the stone as a keepsake. And as I went to retrieve the stone, it was no longer there. It was a supernatural experience. And over the course of the years, the Lord has answered my, years, uh, my prayers in many, many ways. And over the course of the years, during church services, times of fellowship with other Christians, my own personal quiet times, I've experienced the presence of the Lord. But how do we act and how do we carry on, maybe day after day, week after week, month after month, when the presence of the Lord 
seems to be a million miles away from us. Maybe to the point, even feeling, deserted by God. And as I've just shared a personal experience of God's presence in my life, I've had many times where the presence of the, God, of the Lord has not seemed apparent. Those times I've not experienced the Lord may be down to the fact that the Lord has been disciplining me, maybe building my faith to rely solely on him and not to go by my feelings and emotions. Our Lord promises, doesn't he, to never fail us or forsake us, and that his presence will be with us to the very end of the age. And the story of Jacob gives us an insight to not only the kind of man he was, but also his relationship with the Lord. And I'm sure that you all know Jacob's story very well. But a poignant section of this, or his story, is found between the chapters of Genesis 27 to 33. Here is a young man who is the grandson of Abraham. And here is a man who seriously lived in the shadow of his grandfather's greatness. And on close, closer inspection of the man, we see Jacob the con artist. And we see the man who has the gifting of being able to deceive others. The stealing of his brother Esau's birthright set in motion a series of problems for Jacob. However, these set of problems would lead him to an encounter with the Lord. The birthright in Jewish custom, which was known as the Bukorah, had to do with position and inheritance. The firstborn, firstborn males in Jewish culture were dedicated unto the Lord, and the firstborn inherited the judicial authority from the father. Jacob's stealing of Esau's entitled birthright denied Esau his patriarchal blessing. And the consequences for Jacob were severe. We see Esau's hatred for his brother extend to a vow in which he threatens to kill his brother. We find Jacob fleeing for his life. And further consequences are that he becomes estranged from his mother. And within that estrangement, Jacob would never see his mother again. We find Jacob being deceived by his uncle Laban. Jacob's family, his very own life, is filled with strife. And we may be tempted to say, Jacob, you've got what you deserved. Ironically, if you were to read Genesis 25:33, had Jacob been true to his conscience, he would have eventually received the patriarchal blessing from his uncle Laban. I, am believe, I believe and I am convinced the Lord wants to commune with his children. And God's way of communicating with us has not changed through biblical history or history itself. Yes, still through visions, through songs, through the Holy Scriptures, through words of knowledge, through prophecy, by way of prayer, and even through tongues and interpretations. Or indeed, like Jacob's dream, and taken from the second reading this morning, Jacob declares 
How awesome is this place? Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And we see Jacob anointing the stone that he had used as a pillow for his head, and he names the place Bethel. Bethel became the symbol of both the conscious presence of God and the unconscious presence of God. And like Jacob, we must learn that God is working during the times of his unconscious presence, the same way when he clearly shows up. We must learn to respect the Lord when he does not appear to reveal himself. And we must honour him when we feel nothing. And as difficult as it may appear, we must learn to respect and appreciate God's unconscious presence because this is the way that faith is built. We must continue to worship our Lord when we are tired and afraid, in our most embarrassing and our most weakest moments, when everything seems wrong and nothing seems right. And believe that in those times, God is absolutely there working for us, 24 hours a day and 365 days a year. You know well the story of, Je uh, of Jesus's transfiguration on the Mount of Tabor with the appearance of Moses and Elijah. The disciples, Peter, James, and John, were totally awestruck as God clouded them in his glory. And the disciples proclaim, it is good for us to be here, and it truly was. Three ordinary fishermen surrounded and engulfed by the power of God. But the truth of the matter is, they had to walk back down the mountain with Jesus. They'd had a mountaintop experience, but it was one that wouldn't last. And what followed for the three, and indeed for the rest of the disciples, was a period of teaching and learning from the Lord, including the Lord rebuking them on a number of occasions, namely over their petty squabbles and their lack of faith. The disciples would experience emotional and spiritual pain in their pursuit for the fear and knowledge of the Lord. Sometimes in our Christian walk, we need people who would champion us. And by that I mean people who see something in you and believe in you. And I have, and I am fortunate that throughout my Christian walk, I've had Christians that have stood by me, thick and thin. I sometimes will reflect and pray and give thanks to my old church leaders and youth leaders who encouraged my walk with Jesus. I sometimes reflect, not often, but sometimes, on my wanderings away from God and the Christian men and women that have stood by me especially when those wanderings were sinful, when I was unaware of the Lord's hand on my life. And whilst I'm so grateful to those men and women, God is like that with us. He continues to champion us, whether we feel his presence or not. And this is Jacob's story in Genesis 28. Despite Jacob's rebellion, the scandal Jacob was unaware that God's hand was on his very life. 
God had plans for Jacob. And indeed, his awakening of the Lord's presence would finally see him in a wrestling match with God. Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter on faith, tells us of the champions of the faith, from Abel to Enoch, from Noah to Abraham, and then going on to Samson. Men who stood in faith, not always sure what God was doing with their lives. We can also think of modern-day heroes of the faith, from the likes of Billy Graham, the extraordinary missionary Eric Liddell, and the great Arthur Blessed, who carried a cross around the world, telling a lost world the gospel message. However, all these wonderful saints mentioned had to overcome failure. They had to overcome defeats, along with life struggles. They encountered God's presence, but also had to walk by faith in the unconscious presence of God. God really believed in all these men. He championed them. And I know that God champions us today, each of us today. And Jesus would say to each of us, I believe in you. Come to me. Theologians speak of the big three O's, God, God's omnipotence, that he is all-powerful, God's omniscience, that he knows everything, and God's omnipresence, that he is everywhere. God's omnipresence not only means that he is everywhere, it also means that his glory fills the universe and all that he has made. And it also means that we cannot run from God. Jonah and Jacob found this out. Both found they could not outrun God. And if you are trying to run from God today, simply stop. It's a hopeless venture. The fact, the very fact is, that though you may not feel God's presence, it does not mean that he is not there, working in you and with you. Never underestimate how near the Lord is to you when you feel nothing. And as I said earlier, Jacob lived in the shadow of his grandfather, Abraham. And Jacob was certainly no match for his grandfather. Over the years in several prominent jobs and positions, I've stood in the presence of people with high and his positions and authority. And my tendency has always been to withdraw into myself and becoming significant. God never wants us to live in anyone's shadow. He has made us uniquely and with gifting. And the Lord wants to use us in his service because Jesus has a plan and a purpose for our lives. When God spoke to Jacob in his dream, he could not have known that one day the phrase of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would become a cliche in Israel, and that Jacob's new name, Israel, given by God, would become the name of a great nation. It all began at Bethel, where Jacob's first felt nothing, but only to realize that God was there all the time, but yet did not know it. And Jacob became the symbol 
of sovereign grace. Jacob the scoundrel did absolutely nothing to deserve God's grace and the anointing that God had placed on his life. And God, in his love for each of us this morning, extends his grace to us. And we should never underestimate it. My good friend George Ioma, who's a Baptist minister near Blackpool and a Kenyan and someone who started my missionary journey some 20 years ago, would tell you that God's grace in my life has always been very much extended and that God has given me an exceptionally long rope in which to tie myself up into many knots. And I can say that after this week, I've really kind of added to those knots. But the truth is that Jesus has stuck closer to me than, uh, to me than any friend ever could. He has never failed me or forsaken me. And Jesus has always continued to beckon me, come to me. In moving on to Genesis 32, 24 to 29, we see Jacob wrestling with a man all night. And I believe that there is a time when we all need to wrestle with God, and for many reasons. That night of wrestling, that night of wrestling with God was a painful experience for Jacob, but it resulted in a blessing. And we glean from this passage that Jacob was persistent. The wrestling match was indeed shaping his very life to make him a man of God, the man of God that he always intended Jacob to be. This wrestling match was shaping his spiritual life and indeed it was shaping his very character. Are you wrestling with God today? In James 1, 2-5 it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and completely lacking in nothing. And if you look at James 5.11, it says, you've heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The idea of wrestling with God may seem a scary prospect. But when we are going through trials, going through tribulations, unusual circumstances, I believe that the wrestling with the Lord to find either answers to our prayers or to our circumstances and even seeking blessings, as Jacob did, is the right thing to do. Those times of wrestling with the Lord includes whether we feel his conscious or unconscious presence. Indeed, this passage of scripture describes the human dilemma and experience of restlessness, looking and seeking answers to our relationship with God as we wait for him to answer us. Jacob's life, after his tussle with the Lord, would never be the same again. Blessings followed, along with rest restoration and reconciliation. In many senses, I believe that Jacob was able to put his past behind him. Jacob, the man who had nothing to sustain him in life, now found a fulfillment 
to a relationship with the living God. When it comes to time, I'm a peculiar creature. And as I've got older, I've become to be more conscious that time is precious. And I came across this quote from a godly man who says, time is God's domain. And as I pondered this quote, it came to me as quite a profound quotation. Time is actually God's domain, and it is his prerogative regarding what happens and what takes place in his world. It is God's prerogative how he deals with mankind and the nations of the world, and it is his prerogative how he deals with each of us. Are you waiting for God to act in your life? Are you waiting for an answered prayer or a circumstance to change? Are you saying, how long, Lord, do I have to wait before you answer me? Or maybe this morning you're even saying, are you even there, Lord? The absolute truth is the Lord will show up, never too early, never too late. The Lord always shows up on time. However, it is what you and I do during the between times of waiting for God to act. Often, this is what shapes our very Christian lives. And without even making a prophetic statement this morning, I know there are people here today who are waiting and wrestling with God. And Jesus is saying, come to me. There are three things we can do as we stand firm in the conscious or the unconscious presence of God, in the assurance that the Lord will surely act in our lives. The first is to wait patiently. And if you're like me, where being patient is quite a challenge, I've learnt over the years that God will answer in his time. Our willingness to wait shows that we really and truly love God. I waited 19 long years before God opened up the doors to Africa for me. But I held on to his promises that he would send me. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It's a faithful promise, and I thank the Lord for it. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Sometimes waiting on the Lord is to test us and to help increase our faith. The second thing that we need to do as we wait is to worship, for he alone is worthy of all our praises. Jesus told his disciples that after his death and resurrection to wait for the promises of the Father the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' disciples knew they had nothing to do at this point but wait. And we must do the same. But in that waiting time, I'm 100% sure that the disciples worship their Lord. And we must do the same. Philippians 4, 4-7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And lastly, we are called to watch. I mentioned earlier Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. And if you were to study and consider the great men of God, you'll find that though they did great exploits for God, there were plenty of between times. Most of Abraham's life was characterized by years of waiting, with many challenges, bewilderment and suffering. He continued in faith, sometimes being in the unconscious presence of God, but watching eagerly to see what the Lord would do next in his life. Moses waited 80 years before God called him into service. And it did not start well, off well for Moses. His self-righteous anger led him to murder. He was misunderstood by his own people. Moses doubted he was fit for the Lord's service. And even after his burning bush experience and his calling to free Israel from Egyptian slavery, he had to put up with the constant moaning of the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. However, Moses continued to obey God, follow his guidance and watch as Israel headed to the promised land. I'm grateful to the Lord for my mountaintop experiences, but I do not rely on them. My Christian growth and walk with the Lord has always been when I've waited, I've worshipped, and I've watched. Maybe some of you this morning need to return to Bethel and sit being in the presence or the unconscious presence of God. And Jesus says, come to me. Maybe today you just need to come home to Jesus. Maybe you've slightly wandered off the track. Jesus says, come to me. Maybe today you are waiting for an unanswered prayer to be fulfilled. Maybe a circumstance to change. Jesus says, come unto me. Or maybe today you are actually sitting in the unconscious presence of God. And you feel frustrated by waiting for the answer to that prayer. Jesus says, come to me, for I am gentle and humble. If you are waiting for God this morning, and in closing, I'm going to ask us all to bow our heads, keep our eyes closed, and invite the Holy Spirit just to come upon us. And in silence, I will ask that if the Lord by his Holy Spirit is talking to you, to just stand where you are and receive a blessing. You don't even need to say anything because I know that Jesus knows exactly where you are, what you're going through. And if you feel that that's not right, if you feel that you need prayer, don't leave here today without praying with somebody. Let's bow our heads. Let me close in prayer. Father God, I thank you 
for each person here today. Father, I thank you that you know each of us personally and individually. Thank you that you continue to offer us that wonderful invite of coming unto you through your glorious Son, Christ Jesus. Father, you know our hearts, the yearning of our spirits to be closer to you, to feel and to enjoy your presence. Minister to us, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Please give us the assurances of your presence as we walk with you daily. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.